we're going to be taking you through the progress of our black comedy feature film. Who are you, by the way? Nobody, nobody knows who we are. <laughs> Look at yourselves, they're realistically here. Nobody's going to give you that money. Nobody. You don't know who the fuck you are. It's a complete risk. You are unknown. This is our first feature film, something we're going to do together. Uh, you're going to get it warts and all. For now, you're just some pair of videos like everyone else. So <laughs> <laughs> we just go into it? I kind of think we could. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm all right, yes. Not too bad. Welcome, everyone, to what we now episode 14. We're so old. We're basically uh, kind we're of... teenage. Yeah, we're, we're a middle teenager. Um, and, you know, we're going through our difficult teenage years. A bit sulky. A bit sulky. Just uh, hiding... Yeah. stuff under our beds N not talking to our shifting. parents yeah not talking to our parents no they're so uncool they're just so uncool bunking out the window at night and yeah. uh, you know going to uh, snog our boy girl friends uh, yeah, under yeah. The, all of know, those under boys the, and girls yeah all, all of the above we have got an interview lovely guest with a lovely guest uh, somebody quite excitingly from the doc world I think it's interesting because in a way both of us tackled a doc because we thought it was in some way as a DIY filmmaker more achievable to kind of get going as in you know yeah. there, there didn't seem as many barriers to kind of just starting and just shooting which obviously is the ethos of the DIY cinema cult um, yes but, but uh, Jamie who uh, we're about to interview he's he's actually completed a feature doc so we, we actually haven't seen we haven't seen the film yet though have we but we've seen the no the I've seen that I've seen little the teaser which looked fantastic and a great great subject matter about a guy who I wasn't quite aware of so I, and I kind of wanted to you know it did exactly what it should have done that teaser it makes me want to see the see the full film so yeah and I, and I mean it's again it's a kind of in the music world as well a character from yeah. the music world which we've been talking a lot about and how yes. there's been quite a lot of overlap with the, with the sort of um, you know, with the scenes and the ethos, I suppose, of the DIY cinema cult uh, members and, and our attitude, you know, taking from the music world, the, the way that with musicians you can just get up and do stuff. But it does make for an interesting kind of topic because obviously it sounds like the character in the film is somebody who uh, is a little bit of a mystery. It has a lot of a, a lot of yeah. impact, but who uh, is maybe not a household name. I had a weird thing happen to me the other day. Mm. Uh, my Twitter uh, popped off. I think that's what the kids say. Your Twitter uh, popped off. My, my Twitter feed popped off. Yeah. You know. You know. You know. We we post videos sometimes of of DIY cinema cult, the little clips. Yeah. Uh, online. Yeah, and yeah. I did. I did one on Twitter of our interview with uh, Luca Cesari. Yeah. Uh, where, where I chat to Luca about. Uh, Stuart a life backwards and that I was Benedict Cumberbatch's hand double yeah and I'm I in the in the post I hashtagged Benedict Cumberbatch and I got swamped by a load of um Benedict Cumberbatch super fans <laughs> who were obsessed with my hands <laughs> and I was I was Twitter famous for about 30 seconds it was a it was quite an amazing experience what, what actually happened then what happens when you get kind of a well I, I my phone started pinging and I was like so confused because I don't really 
I'm I'm on Twitter, but I never really get any much interaction with Twitter. I've, I've never really been right. into it that much that I've kind of built up any kind of rapport with it as a social media platform. Instagram, Facebook, yes, but Twitter, I never really get an interaction. But suddenly this thing got loads of likes. I was getting mentioned in other tweets. Some guy was saying, hey, this guy, and they were all from Spain or, or from different countries or wow. Argentina. Going out, this guy says he's better to come back his hand in the Stuart the Life backwards. <laughs> and then people start commenting on his post. And then they start tagging me into it and saying, they, they, one guy took three screenshots from the film of Benedict Cumberbatch's hands, <laughs> uh, two of which were actually his hands, one of which was my hand. And he was going, hey, which is it? Is it all three or is it just one of them? Because they look different. And I was going, oh, it's the one, it's the one on the left. Thank you. You know, oh, thanks, for, my thanks for getting involved. God. It was really, it was so weird. It was so weird. Well, this sort of shows in some ways that, that, you know, you have to grow a certain level of sophistication with these social media outlets to try to get responses. Yeah. Because you're right, I don't understand. I don't actually really understand Instagram very well. You're kind of on that a bit more, but... I'm on it a bit, yeah. Um, but, you know, I kind of do Facebook groups and stuff, and I've kind of got a bit of a handle on that. But uh, you obviously kind of hit on an unintended... I hit on a nerve. On an yeah. unintended nerve. And, and a stream, a rich stream of Cumberbatch. So maybe that that's the upon. trick. You have to just kind of link yourself to famous people in some <laughs> tenuous way, as in, I was his hand up, even if it's not true. Yeah, and but I was I was amazed by how there's just so many Twitter accounts that are just dedicated to Benedict Cumberbatch. They're just fans, and all they do is post pictures of him. Any any tweets that are about him or that they can find online, they'll retweet and and talk about. Wow! Uh, and they're just people who you know they're not none of them are him clearly, but they're just super super Cumberbatch fans. And now maybe there'll be fake Twitter handles set up about you and your hand. It'll and be my hand, my, my Cumber hand, <laughs> <laughs> as I'm calling it now. A Cumber hand sausage. Five Cumber hand sausages. <laughs> my Cumber hand curl. That's something else. Oh, well, I think our level of sophistication of social media does need to improve a little bit, obviously, and uh, be interesting to hear yeah. how people use social media to kind of gather, I suppose, and, you know, trying to create audiences, obviously not for your hand double work. But, no, uh, for no, your those, work days are, those days are in my past. I'd like to I'd like to leave them in the past, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, I gather that like, Jamie has got a bit of a, a, a kind of um, insight into his social media. Oh, and in fact, that looks like it's Jamie oh, right coming on. on. That was a good link, wasn't it? You'd almost think I'd set it up. You are listening to the debut feature film podcast. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Ah, Hello, Jamie. There he is. <laughs> Here I am. There you are. Hello, Jamie. I'm Mark. Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And nice to meet you. Here I am in, in the flesh or um, in, in the, the flesh. digitally. In your flesh. virtual yeah. flesh, yeah. Great to have you on the podcast. Pleasure, pleasure. Um, we realise that you're you're our oh what what number is Jamie and our guests? A number seven oh, or know. number eight or yeah seven or eight something like something. But, like but that. you yeah. happen to be our first uh, person in the doc world. So everybody thus far has been kind of from the fiction or narrative world. So we're hoping you can give us some kind of thoughts and insight for the uh, DIY filmmaker in the kind of doc making process, particularly from your DIY, you know, uh, not backed by major studio, not not backed by big broadcaster kind of 
perspective. So, um, so do you want to yeah. tell us initially just a, bit, a little bit about yourself and your background before we get into the film and everything? So, yes, yeah, so I'm um, by trade, I'm a producer. I largely produce or have largely produced events and content which is related to advertising and kind of commercials, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I've been doing that. Um, I've been in production for for officially for 14 years since the beginning of 2006. Um, but prior to that, I used to promote jungle drum and bass parties um, in Brighton, where I currently live. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of led me to to sort of making this film, that sort of rave world and jungle and drum and bass and hip hop and kind of London music culture is really sort of what's inspired me to um, to make this film, um, being from West London. I live in Brighton, but I'm, I'm from West London originally. Where, whereabouts oh, in West okay. London are you from then originally? I'm from, um, I'm technically from Shepherd's Bush, so W12 is my postcode, but um, probably slightly closer to Chiswick, yeah. I guess. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. Mark, Mark well, we're, both me and Mark are from that kind of advertising and uh, what have you world also, and we're, when we've chatted previously, I mean, there seems to be a lot of overlap. And uh, Mark spends a lot of time in the west, west of London, because he does a lot of work for the uh, the likes of the Beeb and oh, the yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. So Shepherd's Bush, I know very um, well. And I was actually born in Hammersmith, so proper West London, proper uh, west, west London, London boy, through and through. How's lockdown yes. been for you, Jamie? Like, what what have you been up to in these strange well, times? Well, actually, it's kind of worked to my favour. So as I say, I'm a freelance producer, so I, I'm largely work for kind of. Um, sort of below the line marketing agencies and stuff but the um i started post-production on my feature documentary in january this year um and right. massively underestimated i was working in a sort of post studio we'd kind of rented out it's a self-finance project and um I'd, I'd allocated far too short a time basically to to um edit the film um <laughs> sounds familiar <laughs> and, and with with sort of work like i kind of had a little bit of work kind of sort of uh sort of general day-to-day work at the beginning of the year in sort of january time um and then towards uh february i had a couple of jobs basically pulled on me and a couple of jobs non-start i thought uh, there's no point getting stressed about it i may as well just delve into the further into the film i've got loads to do um and uh started working with uh, uh um another editor who's also sort of kind of firmly embedded in the project anyway and um was previously working in this in this edit studio as i say in in london and then and then we started working remotely me and the same editor and then that was right at the end of february beginning of march and basically it like sort of unraveled itself as we were like, wow. and as we were doing our first like rough cut of the film. Yeah, and, it just uh, kind and of mushroomed. It's quite, <laughs> quite weird. The word world was like unraveling around us, but we were kind of like getting really deeply entrenched in this edit. Yeah. So, um, what stage is that at now? Are you kind of finishing up, or is it still? So on we're the nearly cut? we're nearly at fine cut. It's very. Right. I mean, it's pretty much a fine cut, um, and we're hopefully by the end, but in some time. Um, Because it's kind of, as I say, sort of DIY, um, fully um, self-produced, financed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It's kind of done in periods of time as and when I get other elements in place. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of wearing a joke on my editor. I'm kind of wearing two hats. I have my producer hat, my director hat. (laughs) 
Um, and sometimes it's just too much there's too much going on I mean how does that kind of tension work because obviously the director in you is like yeah let's just go and do this and come on maybe we can do this and let's go and do some filming here but the producer in you is going uh no more cash no more time how how do you kind of break that those two sides of your brain and and put them together you know as I say the uh Ryan my editor (laughs) who I'm working with uh, he sometimes comes up with ideas. He's he was also director of photography on the project as well. Yeah, and he's a very talented dude. And he uh, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we're going to do this. And I'm like, it's a great idea, man. But I need to call the producer. <laughs> <laughs> hand so, goes into the phone in the yeah. other hand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to call the producer. So <laughs> it is pretty much like that. I, I, it is it, all sort of jokes aside. Really, I mean, I mean, what sort of two? One of my biggest learnings is that. Um, as much as I am kind of trained as I suppose as a producer and, and, and it's helped with the sort of the DIY, I suppose, ethic or I suppose of sense of the, of the film. And it's really drove or driven the whole kind of the project forward. I think and the biggest learning is, is, is don't, um, if I was to do this again, which I would love to do it again, um, finance pending, um, I, I would work with a team of at least one, if not two more producers to do a feature doc mm, because yeah. um, it's it's too much. Sometimes my brain is just, <laughs> just can't compute it because I've got, oh, I've got to go and sort out all the licenses, all the clearances, all the blah, 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 blah. And then yeah. the creative side of it will be going really, really well. And then I'm like, yeah, I have to call call the producer. <laughs> yeah. So what is that? Oh shit, that's me. Oh yeah. <laughs> the buck stops here. Well, so, but this is yeah, a very sorry. DIY story, and I think you know it's funny how you talked about your editor being a DOP, and you're the producer and the director and the writer and all that kind of thing. But I mean, just sort of taking it back a little bit. I mean, what what gave you the the kind of the the energy or the specific um, impetus to kind of make a feature doc completely off your own back. So um, I made a similar film. So the film I'm uh, making, um, I'm not sure if you guys introduced, is called The Hidden Influence. Uh, Stevie Hyper D, The Hidden Influence, the, the, the title. Um, and I had made a short film on a similar artist who's who's with us, um, an artist called Navigator, who's a who's a reggae sound system. DJ is their name back then, but an MC, I suppose, in the sort of current world. And he's one of the original sort of pioneers, I guess, of like MCing and toasting in the UK. And I'd made a film, a short film on him in 2012. We put that out. Um, it was a kind of a two-part series and it kind of amassed 20,000 views online. And um, it was a sort of success, I suppose, as sort of web films go. And um, after I'd put that out, um, I got approached by the nephew of the, the artist, that I'm currently doing it on, which is Steve Lipper D. He, he'd seen the, we were kind of loosely on t- in touch online and he'd seen the film and he was, he was really excited um, about potentially doing something on his uncle. Um, and this is Daryl, who is now a good friend of mine, um, who's also the associate director and associate producer, I suppose, on the, on the, on the project as well and helped write it and, and again, firmly part of the team. But he also features in the film. He's also the um, uh, the narrator as well. Mm. Um, so he'd seen he'd seen the the, the kind of the web series like, that I'd done on Navigator, and he was like, "Would you do something with my uncle?" And at the time, I was, when I was speaking to him, I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." And um, I was just about to move to Canada, and uh, when I met him in uh, near his place near Richmond in London. 
And when we sat down for the meeting, there was just so many similar, what was the sort of spooky thing about it? I didn't realize um, they were from down the road from me. I was born in, as I say, born in Hammersmith, grew up in Hammersmith and Fulham. They're also from the same borough. They're all from Fulham. And as well as, I guess, it, I was interested in the artist anyway. As a, I was a massive fan of Stevie and part of the reason I got involved in music was through listening to this artist. And um, there was just so many things. I could see so many of my own um, views on London and views on the world, I suppose, through the lens of this story. Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, and it just it just kind of just gripped me from then. As a as a promoter yourself, you're saying, but also the fact that you were approached by a family member must have given you a great wealth of access to people and archive and footage and that kind of thing. Well, I think the thing, I think the the unique thing for me, I think, as you say, you rightly pointed out, is Daryl really. And mm. um, when he approached me, I was I was kind of yeah, I was kind of blown away that he'd sort of seen my. Um, see my previous work and liked it and the original idea was to do a to do like a sort of a short two or three parter in the same sort of vein um, and then it kind of coincided himself um, he's kind of taken on the, the sort of the mantle I suppose to to run for the legacy of his uncle basically and the interesting thing about the, him and his uncle's dynamic which is obviously Stevie Hypo who's the, who's the artist is that they mm. were really close in age they were like sort of 10 years 10 years or so he was like his big brother basically and so the more I kind of got into the story the more I realized that this wasn't really just a story about uh, Stevie it was a story about Daryl and it was a story about a family which kind of gave me a different perspective on it because it was the way that I always sort of saw it was kind of um, it was a story about uh, a family losing somebody close to them ultimately which I think is a very relatable story mm. and and even so, so even on the, the small sort of three part of the always the idea was to kind of just follow him and talk to him because obviously the artist is no longer with us. So it's about his journey in this. Um, but when um, I was approached by him a couple of months later, him and a guy called Matthew Gale, they did a radio documentary on Rinse FM, which was actually feature in length. So it was an hour and 30 minutes. Wow. And when I listened to this kind of radio documentary, immediately I kind of went from like a three-parter to like basically like I'm gonna now do a film yeah that's just immediately when I heard it I saw the film in my head mm. and and obviously Daryl and I had had a conversation and it was on Rinse FM which I don't know if you know about kind of London yeah, music yeah, culture. Course, like, yeah. it's like yeah. a little bit of a it's a little bit of a legendary well a big bit of a legendary station they've launched yeah, like yeah. countless careers and then he 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 um he very uh Canally like bigged me up at the end of the the show. They did this radio show. I was living in Canada at the time, and he he bigged me up at the end of the radio show. And he's like, "Yeah, I've been talking to Jamie." Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, immediately, and I was on the other side of the world. I was inspired. I was like, "This is it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm yeah. going to go and make this." And that was a long time ago. <laughs> 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 and, now, and now I've nearly done it. So yeah, that's so. amazing. And I mean, how long are we talking about uh, in terms of the process? I mean, from this is the this is what I want to go and do to kind of you know right now where you're almost there well so I I started um I started developing it I suppose developing the idea um in that was in October 2012 wow um and I started actually 
properly developing it in July 2013. So seven years ago, pretty much exactly. Wow. I came back from Canada and um, uh, yeah, that that was really when Daryl and I reconnected. I'd, I'd been living in Canada for nearly a year and I came back and I was like, I'm still like, this is, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And and then and then we kind of blindly both sort of ran at it um, from that from that point onwards, really. So, and we started making it in 2017 um, and um, finished making it or shooting it, should I say, in October last year. And yeah, then we doing post on it. Basically, I mean, probably yeah, most of the year really. To be honest. And so were your interviews a mixture of family? Was the, was the family element still there? So there's family yeah. members and then other artists and people in the industry, yeah. Yeah, so the, the, core, the core kind of um, components, I guess, is, is Daryl, um, his kind of sort of immediate family, which is obviously Stevie's immediate family. Yeah. Um, and then all of the contributors, which were um, people from the Jungle Drum and Bass world from that time. And then also the people that he's influenced. He's got a really huge... Uh, uh, kind of base of people that he's influenced. I suppose with him being so loved within that kind of uh, culture, um, people must have been coming forward quite readily then to be contributors and to be part of the film. Is that right? Yes, they definitely were um, keen to be involved once we approached them, but we didn't really make much of a big deal right. about. You weren't publicising we were your production we of it, and yeah, yeah, no, because I, I wanted it. I wanted it to be. And even still now, there's no trailer or anything being released. It's um, it's it's kind of now we're really kind of amping up talking to people about it. We did a yeah. we did a live stream last weekend that we put on Facebook and was to mark the anniversary of him passing. And even still, we haven't shown anybody the, the sort of any type of thing. It's sort of fresh off the press. That's why it's great mm. talking to you guys now. Yeah, yeah. So yes, but yes, I guess that people ultimately yes they were very forthcoming. Um, but we still had to do the sort of the um, thing of, you know, getting people in the right place. And we kind of created events around uh, kind of moments we could grab people and um, and some of the the, the locations and the, the, the shoot days were centred around places we knew people were going to be at. Um, like mm-hmm. with, for, for example, um, the one of the last shoot days end of last year was in, uh, was at Connected Festival, which was a big, festival near the site of the old world world dance you guys probably know yeah, yeah. and um, the airport and um we we went down there and shot like three or four of the kind of main contributors and i mean what you know i mean you've done this without any kind of external funding so i mean you know a lot of people might think you know how the hell do you do that <laughs> and uh, i mean i'm in a similar situation so i'm kind of interested to hear people in a similar um with a similar kind of approach and it's a very diy approach to kind of think let's just get going but um you know talk about a little bit about that kind of having no nothing behind you in a way to help um i i guess i suppose it comes back to all my background and and, and what i do uh for a living so originally we were we the original sort of team, I had um, um, a production company um, who I worked with on a, a kind of a, uh, an online bit of content. They were kind of uh, working with me and sort of partnering me on the very, very early stages of the project in 2017. And um, they had the camera kit and 
and was kind of co-directing. I had an, another associate director um, on the project and and they couldn't sort of see it through. And so they sort of realised, I guess, the scale and the breadth of it. And um, the options were really after they, I kind of was working with them and they were brilliant. And, you know, again, these things are hugely, hugely time consuming. Uh, so uh, Daryl and I were talking and I was like, look, I could, I can, I can put all of these things together. I just need to just match the kit spec and everything. Mm-hmm. So essentially what we did is we just went and just reassembled like a team of people. Um, so the, so the first 30 to 50% of the film was done with um, the other production company I was working with. And then the last sort of 50 to 70% of the film has been done under my own production company. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, I'm set up to, I'm a freelancer, but really I've kind of uh, been kind of producing large-scale events and content and stuff for for years anyway. So I just did it under my own limited company. Yeah. Um, you say it's easier, sort of easier said than done. Really, I, I kind of yeah went and found the, the right kit houses who would give me the good costs on on good quality kit and and um, and yeah, it, it was uh, harder. It's definitely harder doing it that way slightly doesn't cost as much it's just a lot more responsibility um and then i mean you know you're talking a little bit about kind of uh you know getting getting kind of contributors uh across the board i mean i guess your connections in the industry and that world have helped a lot with kind of um getting the right people on board as in you you're not just a sort of stranger who's sort of coming along and kind of saying um, you know, can I can I interview you? I mean, you know, it's one of the kind of rules that as a DIY filmmaker that seems to kind of come up more and more is, you know, use what you have already to a certain extent. And it feels like this is one of those kind of an example of that in a way is you've got those connections, you've got that kind of uh, know-how about that that world. So talk, talk a little bit about that kind of, you know, I suppose utilising what you had already to kind of make a film, make a story. Well, I think, I think the main thing and the kind of, Going back to um to the to the point we were talking about with um with Mark earlier is is really the the kind of the key access point for the for the film and uh, the thing that's really helped get this over the line is Daryl really mm. is the fact that um, he's family and the artist Stevie is so legendary in this scene that people are just willing to help out the legacy really um, mm. and they'll do, they will do it because it's Stevie and he's influenced so many people and um, and people are just happy, really. And I think having Daryl on board and and he's very much integral, like uh, associate producer, associate director, as I say, also narrator, key key contributor, et cetera, et cetera, mm. has really, really helped. Um, and, and yes, my sort of access, i.e. the people that I've worked with, Navigator, and um, being firmly from that kind of world and that scene, anyway and being around it for you know promoted for five six years plus done various other things music musically and you know in in the culture and the scene has helped but really all you know to be totally honest it's really the blessing from the family and all the people we've been really mindful because it's it's a sensitive subject not just for the family but also as well just for the culture and for the scene Mm, so we try to approach it in a really sensitive way and his DJ, Nicky Black Market, who's a legendary jungle drummer bass and, and also a hardcore DJ. Mm. But we were we were really, I said to Daryl, you know, for this project to fly, he's got to be, after the family, he has to be key person um, who's involved. 
um, as well as other kind of key people that sort of surround him. So once the family had blessed it, once Nikki had blessed it, it was kind of just about getting the right people to the extended team. Um, is it a case that with your doc, because for example, I didn't really know about Stevie, but from seeing your your your, your teaser, I'm kind of really, I was so engaged. I really, really want to see the film. And okay. so um, and I imagine that, you know, uh, the scope of your documentary is are you having to broaden it out to kind of introduce people who maybe aren't that familiar with the jungle scene, what that scene is, who the players are, what the culture's like. Is that the kind of breadth and scope that your film has to be in order to introduce new people to it, in order to tell Stevie's story? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, the thing for me is I'm, uh, you know, regardless of um, uh, being passionate about film, I'm really passionate about this music and culture is sort of, shaped who I am as a as a person, a Londoner and um yeah. Yeah, and they've kind of given me confidence as a kid that, you know, pro- probably n- nothing else could have done. So I've kind of uh, I really want people I really I guess in the sort of the sense of like a filmmaking sense, if you take it into the filmmaking world, it's about people and giving people an access point and, and ability to like enter that world and create a world that is authentic. And I think that's that the key thing for me when I made the navigator thing, it was you know, it was, it was done on a SLR, whereas we shot all of this on 4K. Yeah. All of the archive is like, um, I'd say probably most of it's unseen. Um, all the archive providers and everything have been um, very forthcoming. And, you know, again, because of the artist and who it is and they want to help out. So yeah. really for me, it's about kind of creating a creating an opening for people people that may not know about Stevie that, that can come on board and come on board and feel like they're part of part of the journey and part of like a moment in time really mm. um and and I, I guess also the the key i guess sort of linking into that point the key probably the key driver for me making this film was that i never got to see him live so yeah. i i <clears throat> in a very nerdy kind of sort of sense the, the yeah. kind of the core essence is like oh my god there was no archive footage it was made in the time before the sort of digital and analog Right. sort of transition yeah. that transition point and i could never find video footage online of him and so right. initially pre-even making the film i was like just looking for footage and i couldn't find any and then when i said to, when i met up with daryl i was like well we have to find the archive footage it must exist somewhere and um that's also part of the reason why it's taken so long <laughs> yeah i mean i mean went through daryl was there access to kind of personal footage and that he had yes the, yeah to? there was there was absolutely photography video yeah. footage um but it was through this one guy who was uh, um the dad of a, a famous happy hardcore dj that we stumbled across this like insane amounts of footage and um and that was really the sort of the making of it but sort of back to your question question really i think Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, I um, the biggest probably inspiration for this film, and part of the reason why I kind of went down the the the, the angle of making a, a feature doc was um, I saw Searching for Sugarman when I was living in Canada just after I'd listened to this radio doc- documentary, and yeah. I was like, I, I can make blindly again <laughs> i can make the next search of sugarman and it's about a jungle drum and bass mc you know? <laughs> so, that was your elevator pitch that was it, that was it. To you, to the elevator pitch to yourself <laughs> exactly. you are listening to
What have been the most, I mean, you've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the battle between the director and the producer in you, but what have been the biggest obstacles in actually uh, getting this done on a zero budget kind of situation? What's been the toughest, what's been the most unexpectedly tough aspect of getting this to the point you are now? Um, I think that I think the hardest thing is keeping everybody around you kind of engaged and motivated and like it's self-funded so I have you know I have like certainly paid people yeah um, and we've obviously paid for the kit and stuff um, but I think Daryl and I kind of making it together has helped because it's kind of like we're going on a mission together my mission is to sort of like make this culture as big as I think it could be um, and his mission is obviously you know it's a personal journey in the sort of yeah, search legacy. for closure I guess yeah, yeah. Um, but bringing everybody on board in that same sort of way has been, um, has been the challenge. Um, and certainly the team that we've gotten in now, I've got, I'm very fortunate that again, I, again, you've got a big up the Austin family really, because a, a lot of the connections, you know, to, to, that have enabled us to sort of do this of doing, they're doing it all around the sort of the, the legacy yeah. of, of the artist, you know, it's an untold story um to yeah. agree obviously part of the radio documentary in, so. in terms of thinking about you just mentioned story there i mean what i found through making documentaries is that you know you have to be open to finding story and story arcs and lines through lines while you're making the film you know often what you have in your head at the start you have to be open for it to change and uh, and to have a bit of fluidity there was there kind of elements you found along the production of this film that, that kind of changed your opinion or changed your idea of how the film's going to finally be? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, I think the main, the main, that's been again, my, probably my biggest lesson. I was talking, um, and Aaron and I were having a conversation the other day. I, I was, I was, I was saying that the biggest lesson I've learned in filmmaking and this in general is that sometimes less is more and, and really ultimately, particularly in a culture and a rave scene thing. And people are so obsessed with it. I mean, I'm lucky in some instances that I'm probably one of those people that is so obsessed with it. But um, what I had to detach myself from sometimes was this isn't a story about the whole of music culture. This is a story about one single person. And when I kind of came back to that, it was like, oh, I can lose all of that other fat. None of that matters as long yeah. as it's about the artist and as long as it's about the story. So the through line sort of became clearer and clearer and clearer. And also it's Daryl's journey as well. We've got some other really great contributors in it. Um, and um, without sort of listing off the names, but we've, there's kind of, there's a couple of like through lines in the, in the film, Daryl being the, the clear kind of alternative through line and, um, obviously Nikki Black Market and Darkest Bees, who's uh, now president of Island Records in, in the States. He grew up with Stevie, so there's a kind of focus on him. Right. Um, and he's legendary in his own right. He signed Amy Winehouse. Um, wow. Florence and the Machine, Dizzy Rascal. Um, and he's probably, probably, arguably, of the last 25 years, probably the most successful A&R to come mm. out of the UK. He's very well respected around the world. He, and... Um, so we've sort of, uh, these things, these became the important things rather than me being really nerdy about when Jungle began, 
you know, I was kind of yes. like, at one point I was like, I'm going to just tell the story of British music culture. Okay. And then I realized, I realized that I couldn't. And I think that for me is the biggest lesson in, in the art of filmmaking is, is the story is the most important thing. What's the kind of next phase? I imagine with there's going to be, you're going to have a bit of a job or you're probably right up, in, up to your neck in the job at the moment with music licensing and rights with certain clips and bits of film. You know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the sort of final stages, I guess, of post-production is, is the clearancing, the, the, the clearances, the licensing um, and, um, and getting the kind of the colour grade and the, the sound design and everything sort of in place. Lucky, again, um, we've got a really good sound design team um, they've been working with and they're fully invested and fully involved in the project. So we've managed to little cheat, cheat things a little bit in the sort of um, post-production stages and they've been working on the sound um, pre-picture lock, which is sort of not normal process, but it's kind of helped bring the film to life, I guess. And we've submitted it to a couple of big film festivals waiting for kind of feedback from them and sent it to um, a big documentary um, sales distributor and um, sales agent and distributor. so but those kind of kind of things we've sort of managed to cheat a bit. The, the sort of I guess the sort of challenges now is is getting those final stages done and done to the standard that I think the film deserves. Um, and this is sort of possibly the stage where we get some sort of completion funding, or again possibly we just keep cheating the system. <laughs> <laughs> that's the more diy way of doing it (laughs) yeah i really would like to yeah but who knows who knows i'm just i'm just passionate about finishing it yeah um and it's basically there it's basically it's very nearly picture lock film Um, i mean we're talking about things like this i think you know our listeners because because in a way a lot of people who listen to the podcast might well be filmmakers they might well write, they might well even shoot and even edit or produce. But a lot of people, there is a huge gap in a way as to, I now have this finished thing or close to finished. Now what do I do? So it would be really interesting to know what your thoughts on as in, you, you know, I've got a finished product. You know, maybe it's not quite graded. Maybe it's not quite um completed but now what happens and i think this is a great gap in people's understanding of stuff so you sort of give us a shout about what your understanding of that next process you're going to go through is so so this is um uh yeah again where i'm sort of uh taking the diy approach i mean luckily again people who are associated involved in the project um have a passion for the culture and are passionate to sort of see it get done so I have a couple of exec producers that I'm working with on it to help position it. Um, and I think this is, the, this is the stage we, we haven't really, we haven't really jumped in head first. So I've sent it to, um, one big, uh, sales agent and distributor. Um, but we've not started, um, shopping it as such. Um, it's probably the, the, the it's probably the I think probably it might be the hardest part. Part I don't know yet because I haven't uh, got to that final, that final final stage. Mm. But I think for me, for me personally, and I really uh, now I've now I've got the film that I wanted to make. I'm kind of like I'm not I'm not going to just start submitting this. I'm not going to submit it to every film festival. I'm not going to give it to every sales agent and, and 
distributor this is like a film that I really believe in mm. um so I think it's I mean well time will tell history history will tell with with, with what happens with it but my view um for what it's worth is I guess move at the right time and hold on to it mm-hmm. so I mean you know and the nuts and bolts of that what what would that what would that be because I mean I think a lot of people don't know the options what are the options you know you you can sell things to a distribute to a broadcaster you can self-distribute you can get a distributor what i mean what are those options that you can see that are in front of you and you know which would be your preference if you know not putting you obviously on the spot to narrow down those options for you but i think it's really interesting for people to kind of find out what it is that you could do well, weigh, weighing up the options, there's multiple ways of doing it. I mean, m- my preference would be to be represented by somebody um, because I believe if it's got the right representation, like in music, if you've got the right um, uh, manager or whatever, then it's got the it's got the potential to be far-reaching. Mm-hmm. Now, normally, normally, if you're represented by somebody like a sales agent or a distributor, they will take it to market for you. Uh, now you can take it to market yourself, but it just means that you're not tapping into the contact base of people. Yep. Now, now there's the other. There are other ways to take it to market yourself. I know that there are some companies that literally let you distribute digitally across all of the platforms, but that does mean that you're you're distributing to iTunes, Amazon, um, uh, some of the other sort of uh, sales or, or streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, platforms without a marketing budget who yeah. you're not 100% sure who's going to see it yeah and there's a risk that you can just get lost in the soup of every everyone else yeah exactly yeah. exactly so so out of the sort of the options I mean for me it's kind of like you know you have your kind of top tier sales agents and distributors which is obviously dream scenario and then and then you have other you know you know maybe um, other sales agents and distributors that can help you take it to, to market that might not be on the the kind of the Oscar winning platforms and stuff. Um, but maybe that works better for whatever the project is. And, mm. and in this case, maybe that will work, maybe that will work better. Mm. I mean, again, any, only time will tell, but I, I think if that, if you know, I was talking to Daryl today and, and I, th- I think, I think, you know, if, if that does happen and I'm, you know, we're happy, you know, for whatever happens, the main thing for me is this being seen by as many people I guess any filmmaker has been seen by as many people as possible. Yeah. Um, and we, we, again, we're lucky that we've spent a long time kind of developing the artist brand, even though he's not, no longer with us. We, we took over a Facebook fan page, which has got like 46,000 fans on it. Oh, on wow. Facebook. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've got a kind of proof following. We did this live stream and um, a couple of weeks, well, God, it was actually only last Sunday, Sunday, Sunday 5th. Um, and we got fifty-six thousand views on it. So we know we know we've got like a, a proven audience. Yeah. So for us, it's for us, it's about the authenticity. It's about whether it's if a big if a big agent or um, a kind of an independent agent or whoever takes it on, or we end up doing it ourselves. It's got it's got to reach the people that that need to see it. But also as well, back to your point earlier, like about you know reaching the people that might be passionate about film and might be passionate about music but you know don't know who the artist is and yeah um, mm. to me it's really about the authenticity and, and like 
city reaching as many people as possible yeah I, th- I think there's that you've got you've got to bridge that between you know people who just love music and love film and love documentaries and love this idea of like for me coming to it i love the idea of a folk hero you know someone who becomes some kind of figurehead of any kind of scene any kind of culture i always find those kind of films and stories really really fascinating culturally and socially but then it's also you have to be very true to uh, your your first port of call, your audience who are the scene. And if it doesn't ring true with them or feels, you know, disingenuous or unauthentic with them, mm. it's going to be a trip up, isn't it? So I can see what you're saying. That's that's your kind of number one, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so that's sort of how I think, hopefully that answers your question. I sort of, I think that's how I sort of, yeah. I sort of see it. It's kind of like, I mean, there's different ways of placing it, but mm. for me, I, th- I think it's, it's not just about it being on the biggest platform. It's about it being, it's about being with the right platform. And, and, and I don't think, I think if you've, I guess if, you know, again, time will tell, cause this is not the area that I've um, covered in my DIY world yet. But um, I think um, for me, what I feel like it's the right thing to do is, is to hold on to it and speak to the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, because this whole process has been about good, like good vibes and, and when we when we find somebody that's on the same wavelength as us, we're like, we're like, yeah, boom, they're the people that need to be part of the project. I mean, do you feel that you uh, obviously, you know, I know from sort of my limited experience that you know, um, there's there's a kind of a challenge in getting music documentaries off the ground. A lot of the time, when you say I've got a music documentary, a lot of people certainly from the kind of film fund world are immediately turned off that. Um, do you think there's, there's something about, uh, I mean, I love a music documentary. I spend my life now watching music documentaries and I'm making a music do- well, a cultural slash music documentary myself. But, but what do you think about, you know, how to position a music documentary? Obviously you've got the personal story in there, but h- how do you think that you can work with the system that, that there is out there to find the right audience for a music doc. People I've talked to, I get, I guess the sort of the, the funding side of things and getting it off the ground because I've done it all myself. Yeah, I've kind of I the conversations and I've kept it to myself, which is some is a good thing, some is a, um, a little bit of a bad thing. I, I don't know. Well, who knows? Time will tell. As I say, um, I think I've I just blindly blind optimism just just really really believed in the story and i think i think the the story for me is has always been the key thing and i think back to your back to your point about um, mark you're saying about the um uh the the folk hero thing Mm -hmm. and funnily enough funnily enough in the last bit of the you know the 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 edit that's really the realization we came to we were like oh Mm -hmm. this is this is a folk tale really and i think i think that's what translates with you know that's what translates with searching for sugarman and all the best other music documentaries i've seen Mm. Um, i watched the wu-tang documentary recently on sky docs which is unbelievably good i'm I'm a real hip-hop nerd Mm. so for me like watching it it was just it was incredible anyway but but they kind of position them as as different they sort of they kind of position them as superheroes it's sort of quite strange Mm. it's sort of like everything you know about wu-tang you can kind of is all, all in there but it's all it's all elaborated on and they kind of seem like they are these kind of godly heroes and it's really it's just a really clever they just they just focus on the on them as characters and i think 
that for me, they, they're always the best music documentaries I've seen. I'm trying to think of another example. Um, Defiant Ones is obviously the huge one on, on mm. Netflix. Mm. Similar thing. It's just so focused on on Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre that you're kind of yeah. you're really looped in on that. And then there's another really great one called Stretch and Bobito uh, Radio Ch- that changed lives, which is about these two New York hip hop DJs who were like really instrumental in the in the birth of like um, or I say the the birth in the in the height of like New York hip hop in the in the nineties. So everybody from yeah. like Jay Z, Big L. Nas, um, Big Pun, uh, Wu Tang included, they and Eminem even and Royce to Five Nine, they, they all helped launch the careers of these people. But what's so interesting about about the the film and 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 it being a music documentary is that it's just focused on their character and what makes them and what makes them successful. And that's again been the biggest learning that I've had on this thing is that is that people are interested in people. So you could have the greatest. Um, artist of all time. I, I watched a film recently, which was, I'm not going to mention names because I'm not that slander, <laughs> but it was about one of the greatest artists of all time. And I was just, I was very disappointed because it was, it was just trying to do too much. Mm. And I was like, I was like, oh, this, if this film had been 40 minutes shorter, yeah, it would have been yeah. a classic. It would have been amazing. The footage was unbelievable. And I was just like, oh, this is too long. Mm. And, and it just, it was it was too trying to do too much and i think that's the thing it's like yeah sometimes i think if you know you've got a feature idea yeah great definitely follow follow that through but somebody once said to me a filmmaker a filmmaker uh, director um he said to me he said time he said don't get too hung up in time he's like he's like you know focus on the story and i was like well actually it's really good advice now I think about that one yeah soundbite he gave me really you are listening to the debut feature film podcast. This is DIY Cinema Cult. As I sort of use hip hop as a, a parallel between, um, you know, hip hop and rave culture, particularly jungle drum and bass, is well, the common thread is, is sort of Jamaican culture and sound system culture and how oh, yeah. they kind of intertwine, particularly of emceeing. You know, there was people in Jamaica. The um, the Uroys and all those people they were they were emceeing and rapping before there was rappers mm-hmm. um, in in America. Albeit, if you want to be really nerdy, there was like um, there was people rapping and scatting over jazz and stuff, but mm. not really in that same sort of mic man aesthetic as there were in Jamaica. That's really, uh, from my knowledge, is is very much the sort of the common thread between jungle and um, and hip hop. Mm. Yeah. Um, and what about the kind of film festival route? So you talked about sort of entering its fields. What do you what do you see the value or what kind of uh how are you going to use film festivals specifically because there's a music angle here? What what do you see as the best way for your film uh to use the kind of film festival um you know a lot of people kind of scatter gun they go oh i'm going to enter it into everything and it can be really expensive right i mean it can be extremely expensive so what's your kind of plan of attack in a way with with film festivals well well prior to all of this i mean it's sort of the gift and the curse really is it prior to all of the um the coronavirus lockdown um we wanted to submit it to i guess to like a sort of a handful of a handful of festivals that I know that documentaries have essentially have, have flown on um, in the in the in the past few years. There was there was kind of a hit list 
that I wanted to, there was a hit list of three that I certainly wanted to sort of submit it to regardless, which is um, London, Toronto and Whistler. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whistler is where I, I lived um, when I kind of conceived the idea. So it had a bit of sentimental value. Mm-hmm. Um, London, obviously, um, is the story of London, like of a specific subculture of the time. Um, and Toronto, Steve was actually really big in Toronto. He was like a pretty, he was on TV there and he was, right. he, was a bit of, he was a bit of a legend yeah. in Toronto, uh, rave culture. So I had a kind of a, a key three because it really fitted the the culture of the story. Mm. Um, and um, and even the story of the, the making of, I guess. Um, and other than that, other than that, there was not a sort of a specific, I mean, there, there, there are some, there was a couple more festivals like Sundance and, um, and Tribeca, but they kind of fall a little bit outside, I guess, the window because Sundance, I think Sundance is in April and then I think Tribeca is might even be before um, mm. or maybe after. So it didn't kind of fit the window. We are all, always our goal was to either premiere it at Toronto or London. So as a producer, what would you say uh, w- after this whole experience that you're kind of coming soon to the end of, hopefully? Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, that's going to, it's coming to the end. What the tips end. would you have for an indie filmmaker, particularly ones setting out on a documentary feature? What, what lessons have you learned along the way that you'd want to pass on? I think the main thing, are the two main things, and the thing that's kind of got me through, luckily, or maybe by sheer grit and determination, is... Um, the fact that I was a producer first, I think, I think if I wasn't, I think I would have given up a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing, I think, uh, I think because of that sort of organized, I think the main thing within that sort of sphere, I guess, is, is being really, really well organized about everything you're doing. I mean, this project has taken like a long amount of time, but I know where everything is saved like on my computer and if not saved on my computer, what drives I've got it backed up on, what footage, what archive is where, I know exactly where everything is. Um, and for most people, I think it probably driven them a little bit insane, but because I'm so passionate about it, which is the second point, um, I, yeah, look tra- trawling through hours and hours, Aaron, you'd know, of like archive <laughs> rave footage to most people would seem like hell. But for me, <laughs> for me, it's like, it's probably like, it's probably couldn't think of a better way to spend my days or my week. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably the second thing, I guess, is the, I guess is the passion. And, and the third thing is the edit. Do not underestimate the edit. The edit is the thing that I thought would come together really easily. And it, it's taken only till now, which is our seventh rough cut or eighth, 7.1, we'll call it for argument's sake, is the, is the cut that I'm like, oh, wow, I've actually got something that I can really stand by mm. and can start talking about because, you know, now three of us can have a, have a conversation about it because yeah. um, I actually yeah. feel like I've got something. So those are the three things, really. I think the edit is probably my biggest learning. I massively, massively underestimated the edit. Mm. And the edit is where people, I think a lot of people give up and they probably go a little bit insane because it's <laughs> so overwhelming with how much footage you've got. The other thing that really, really saved us was that was uh, Matthew Gale, who I mentioned very early on. He's the guy I took inspiration from for the radio documentary. Mm. We, he's kind of listed as a co-writer because he very kindly 
donated all of his archive audio and rushes for wow. his radio oh, wow. documentary. So as well as having this amazing video archive library, I had this amazing audio mm, archive mm. library. So when I was like, and I, I knew the audio archive really, really well as well, because I'd studied it, I'd listened to every interview. And because we had such good video archive, we've kind of done, I, I guess, the sort of the ASIF kind of Senna slash Amy approach yeah. where you voice off. Blah, 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 yes. Blah. Um, and Matt has been a, has been an absolute well matt matt's audio archive has been a and you know he's he's contributed massively creatively to the process hence the yeah. reason he's listed as a co-writer on it you were talking about the the rough cuts and i know when we previously spoke on the phone that uh, it was quite interesting the development of the the way that you structured the film uh changed over the process of the rough cuts and you were talking about it initially being a somewhat linear uh, narrative, but so talk a little bit about how it developed from, I suppose, a uh, you know, uh, a, a kind of chronological linear narrative to something where where you have it now, and and, and what was the reason? Why has that breathed much more life into it? So we started started editing it beginning beginning part of the year, and I I've been planning the kind of the project as like or planning the film as a bit of a, a kind of traditional three act structure, I suppose. Uh, and it was very much set in a in a in a sort of uh, a very linear way. So it was a start to finish, a chronological journey of his life. And again, I guess partly because of what Matt had done with the the audio documentary, I was kind of in my head. I was like, he did it so well. I was like, oh, well, what we can do is we can do the visual version of that, and then what I'll do is I'll make it broader to a to a broader audience. Yeah. And that was really the the goal for it. It's like, okay, well, we can do we do that thing. Um, which would have been hard enough anyway, and and do it um, three act structure, you know, um, beginning, middle, end, essentially, and um, and we did that on on rough cut five, which was um, I was like I put everything into it. We got we'd got pretty much the picture and everything how how we wanted it, and then at the end of it, I remember speaking to to Rowan, who's the um, one of the editors um, I've been working with on the project, I say DMP as well, is amazing. And um, and he was like, I think we can, I think we can do something else with this. Let me let me go away and come back. Or actually, he told me after he'd recut the film, and um, <laughs> he was like, I've got a surprise for you. I've recut the film. I was like, I was like, oh no, I'm gonna, oh no, it's terrible. Anyway, the idea that he came up with, he 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 changed it into more of a five act structure, which I suppose is still a three-act structure yeah. but the obviously you know one and two three and then four and five at the end but what he the way that he divided it up further he'd, he'd gone from being linear to like essentially like question and answer so it's like here's the big question we're telling you or here's the answer and then here's the reason why sort of thing mm. um and it was so much more impact because we because what we managed to do in the previous version was that you get midway through the film and then it accelerates as you get mm. towards the end and then it picks up pace. So what we did is we reorganised all of the, the the chapters or road re reorganised all of the chapters and put the really fast bits from the end at the beginning. Mm. And and it just completely, the pace of it was just like, just completely accelerated the whole the whole, wow. the whole thing yeah. the whole way through. And it's completely changed the whole dynamic of the film. Mm. And I mean, have you studied kind of, you talked about Asif Kapadia and, and Amy and stuff like that. Have you, someone told me, uh, I, I don't know if I read this recently or someone told me it, but um, 
said that, you know, uh, in a way, choose the form of something that you love and then fill it full, full of your story because, um, you know, there's no, there's no harm in kind of uh, taking from pre-existing forms because people have tried a thousand different ways to make a film before, but you're filling it with your story. So, you know, it's not, it's not a rip-off. Let's face it, most things follow a very, very formulaic structure. So um, have you studied things, you know, you talked about Asukapadia, but have you studied things that kind of informed that story structure? Yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, uh, um, back to the sort of the obsessive point of obsessing over things, I, I really, since watching Searching for Sugarman, in 2012 which i think to me in in my eyes is the sort of the change the change of like i guess maybe popularization of like of feature documentary filmmaking mm, yeah. um and uh, after seeing that film it completely changed my view on like how a feature documentary should look and and should feel so certainly that film is like a massive influence mm. in terms of like form and and structure um and then yeah the as if yeah amy and senna senna particularly is like is, um, i know nothing about motor uh racing but it's, but it's unbelievable film and and the, the the main thing about senna particularly was yeah well and amy but obviously senna came first is is the fact that there's no talking heads it's just all archive mm, yeah and obviously where we've had this audio archive plus the the visual archive i was like oh that's how we can that's how we can really bring this this kind of visual archive to life is via using voice off rather than it being a talking head. Yeah, and that's kind of helped fill that sort of shape and form. Um, and then yeah, those other music documentaries I mentioned, like um, Stretch and Bobito, mm. um, Time Is All Matters, which is the Nas documentary, um, done by Eric Parker and One Nine. Um, and then a lot of them, funny enough, are like about subcultures. There's another film. Um, Dogtown and and the Z Boys. Oh yeah, brilliant. Um, and Bones Brigade, which is also mm. about skate culture. Um, and there's a film about Andy Irons as well, which is like who's a surfer from the um, past sort of ten fifteen years. And um, all of these films have been kind of huge inspirations mm. in terms of how you display a subculture. Yeah, no, no. I'm wondering, you know, uh, sort of how you. In a no-budget situation, how you go about clearing all of that footage and making kind of arrangements with people who've made arc. I'm in a similar situation where I've got, in a way, like an entire community sending me stuff, and it's amazing stuff, as in you know stills, but not not so much video. But how do you kind of come to a, a kind of a an arrangement where people feel like you you know you're uh, you're doing them sort of a justice to them the material that they shot maybe 25 years ago or so well i, I guess I, as we sort of chatted about on the on the phone um the other day i think the i think the main thing and again back to daryl and back to the family is that we're blessed in that um people just want to be part of it mm. so mm. a lot of people have said just have it you well, know just just work with it which is which is great but obviously we want to look after people so we have worked out a way that we can compensate people either up front or in the, you know, in the process of the, the film deal, as it were. Yeah. Um, so we want to look after everybody. You know, this is a film about the culture. I think if you don't, I think if you don't look, look after people, then um, you're not only doing 
the film disservice, but you're doing the culture a disservice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, you want everybody to get behind it. Those are the things like I look at, like why grime and and kind of UK rap culture is so big now because they all get behind each other and and they just make stuff happen. Mm. Um, and I think I think that's the thing, really. You want everybody to you want every want everybody to be behind it from the fans, from the ravers, you know, from your team, you know from the culture so. yeah and and so you've done that by kind of uh, offering something off the back end once your film is kind of bought or produced or released or or the like yeah i mean we haven't tied down every uh, sort of every single agreement but that's the basic that's the basic sort of premise yeah generally for the main archive providers um if it's sort of a single single piece of photography yes yeah, something we can discuss or mm. to sort of talk, talk about or, or finalize um but everything will be tied up and and, and finalised and formalised properly. But that's the sort of the basic premise of it, is to do it, um, to do it like that and do it and do it properly, where everybody gets some gets something yeah. out of it. Well, I mean, it's an amazing achievement, I have to say. I think both me and Mark are kind of you know very very impressed by anybody who's managed to complete a film let alone get it to the point where you know you're, you're happy with it that you've got thank you so much thank to talk you. about it that you've got a kind of plan engaged to sort of get it out there to as many people as possible and also i think the level of authentic connection you've got with your audience which is which is um which is let's face it if you weren't going the diy route would pro- probably not be the same situation as in your connection to your audience your connection to the story and um so i think you're a true uh, diy cinema hero <laughs> we look forward to seeing <laughs> the movie you. um oh mate yeah please give us a shout when you've got screenings or, yeah, or it's available to see because I, I can't wait to see it. i can't wait to see we'll it we'll plug it as 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 we will with all of the projects that have been on and give it a good old boost and um uh, uh yeah we give you all power to the next phase yeah, well, thank you both for for having me. It was a pleasure talking about film and music <laughs> and documentaries, you know. And, Our uh, pleasure, Jamie. Our pleasure, mate. And yeah, big up everybody that's uh, helped us out with the project. Big so, up yeah. indeed. Nice thank one. You. Cheers, Jamie. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you very much. Thank See you, Jamie. Cheers. Thank well, you, mate. Take it easy. Amazing stuff there from from Jamie. I mean, you know, again, very inspiring story for for us making our own films. And um, mm. great to hear somebody on the kind of documentary side who just had a real passion for something and has may, managed to, even though it was you know eight years or so really from conception to where he's at now to to get something kind of completed. Yeah, and I guess it takes that kind of person that Jamie is who is first off involved in the scene connected to the scene yeah. passionate about the scene and then has that kind of obsessive just love for it to push a project like this through he's kind of almost perfectly perfectly placed as the ideal person to make this film well i think it does really go back to that kind of diy principle you know the robert rodriguez principle of you know use what you have and to a certain yeah. extent what in in the doc world 
you know, what you have is your relationships with people, your access to people mm -hmm. and your passion for that story to tell. I, I really can't wait to see the film because the teaser, which uh, we're probably not going to be able to show because it's still quite a secret teaser, isn't it? Yeah. But well, it looked fantastic. I mean, it just looked great. It looked so engaging. I just wanted to see the film. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's funny for me because I'm in the process of uh, trying to get a teaser to the point where I'm able to show it to the general public. But yeah. he was very keen to... Um, keep his cards close to his chest i think um in a way it was good, good lessons for for me in terms of his uh the way he he wants to to treat his 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 project and you know there's a bit of you that always thinks oh if people just saw this then maybe our oh, yeah. sugar daddy's going to come in and give me a bunch of money and it's going to make everything all right and i'm not going to yeah. be just this person in my own shed kind of uh you know, bashing my head against the wall trying to get something made. Um, but uh, at the same time, I think showing a certain patience and showing a certain yeah. commitment to the project, which which takes some some guts, really. It takes a sort of staying the course, which um, you know you you don't always feel that you have the the energy to stay the course when you are totally DIY because you don't have anybody there kind of patting you on the back saying you're doing great well done you yeah. everything's fine all you need to do is this you are your own worst critic but you are also you know kind of in a quagmire of your own disbelief yeah you have your own you, um, am i an egotist about this or am i completely deluded you know you're in your own uh, uh, you're in your own world. So yeah, it, well, well done, Jamie, for sticking to it. Because I, I, I just get the feeling from what I've seen already, Stevie Hyper D's story is one that I think people are going to really want to hear, whether, whether they are fans of him and can't wait to see this film about him, or if you've never heard anything about him. He just seems like a fascinating character. Absolutely. And it was interesting to hear what Jamie was saying about, you know, how he was kind of overwhelmed in the edit at the early stages. Because, you know, narrative filmmaking, you have a script and characters that are written yeah. to a certain extent things are planned out of course things change in the edit but editing reality and someone's real life story yeah. and the story of a scene is, is a completely different beast uh, it's, it's a completely daunting experience I imagine but then also I, I found it fascinating what he was saying about then applying story techniques yeah, and I mean, it, it sort of t dates back to the, the previous podcast we did about kind of act structures and, and what have yeah. you. And, and I think there's always stuff to be learned from from seeing your your film in, in these um, these kind of, you know, uh, I suppose, archetypal shapes, um, but also borrowing from other films and looking at the way things are structured, because no matter what, you know, a bunch of people have made lots of films before. So you've got to learn from previous films yeah. um, as to how you might structure this specific story. Some things will work, some things won't. But if you, uh, you've got your eyes and your, your mind open, even up to the point where they felt like they, he actually felt like he had almost finished it, as in he had the story, he had the structure done. Yeah. And then his editor kind of said, oh, let's try it like this. And something yeah. completely different, that it sounds much more satisfying for him, has come out of that. So tons of great stuff for, for our listeners and for us as well.
It's the time. It's that time, Mark. The time has come. It's been a long old stint, hasn't it? Lockdown has gone on for so long that we've almost all, we've almost forgotten that there was this kind of impending deadline. Yes. Of the One Minute Film Festival. The DIY Cinema Cult One Minute Freaky Film Festival. And we are now about to announce our winners. We had a bit of a dramatic end to the to the well, festival, didn't we? We did, we did. We we kind of had set our, our uh, we'd kind of come to some sort of decision and then we had a very dramatic last minute entry. A late so, entry, a beautiful film that yeah. both, both of us, kind of gobsmacked both of us. Uh, so we were in a real tricky position, but shall we, yeah. I mean, it's probably it's, worth mentioning a couple of the other films that caught our eye that were sent. For, for sure, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, a fantastic uh, series of films from Raheem Maladina. They were really yeah, lovely arty films and um, uh, a couple of kind of animal uh, Some themes. nature stuff. We're getting a nature bit Attenborough, stuff. some of the people, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, so a film, actually, I don't know if it ended up on the Facebook site, but a film by your friend Martin. Martin Shannon, had, he had a little kind of uh, one-minute doc about a snail, a snail's life, which was which, pretty amazing. Which was very kind of lockdown kind of material. Yeah, and, and Jez then, Lewis as well. Yeah, Jez Lewis, who kind of rescued a bee. Uh, and yeah. you know, was is definitely deserving of an of an honourable mention because um, well partly just for rescuing a bee but partly yep. because, uh, also because of the choice of sort of unclearable music in the background yeah which, uh, <laughs> uh, which might have disqualified it from our one minute film festival uh, yeah I have to give an honourable mention as well to to my sons of course uh, not wanting to be involved in any kind of nepotism. That, yeah. You know, they, they they couldn't be festival winners, but um, I don't think they can now with, with the winners that we've got. There's some cracking films, but uh, yeah. regardless, they did a lovely little freaky film, didn't they? They, they did. It, it reminded me of kind of uh, like The Monkeys or something like that. Yeah. Like those amazing, the titles, the, the, the kind of music videos that the monkeys used to do where they were kind of levitating across the country. Yeah, and Joe did, his, did, did the music as well. He made the music, so it's fantastic. I mean, we've got kind of a joint two at the top, but we, one that came really close was, uh, was it Reto Cuffey with his uh, The Little Lebowski film, which I just thought was wonderful. Oh, amazing. A perfect kind of lockdown uh, uh, approach and uh, DIY thinking, as in, let's use your family, let's use yeah. everything uh, that you have around you and recreating a classic kind of movie scene. Yeah. We, we loved it. We thought it was definitely a, a, a real contender. But uh, we definitely feel like we've we've got two now. I think they're both kind of almost joint, jointly titled as the winners on this. Joint winners. Okay. So, well, the winners, of course, we will get on the show in the yeah. next week or so, hopefully. Uh, but shall we? Shall we announce the winners now? You can announce one, and I'll. I'll announce one. Okay. So first of first off, we got Charlotte Morgan and Daniela Isherwood with their film Sanshi, which I absolutely love because it had uh, it was made in a real, real lockdown spirit. It was yeah. very. It was quite freaky. It was quite mysterious. Uh, there was a chase scene. There was a fight scene. All done uh, according to uh, abiding by. Um, social distancing rules, uh, yeah. which were very strict at the time they made the film. Their film was an early entry, yep. and a beautiful soundtrack as well. So that said, uh, that was a, a definite winner for me. I totally agree. I think it was a, a piece of uh, strange, almost folk horror, uh, yes. but done in a social distancing 
kind of way. Uh, Which we're very I, much into, that kind of stuff. We, we love a little bit of genre. that, you know, from our kind of chat to Prana Baylor Bond, we sort of talked about that kind of thing. So I think it was really inventive. It was clearly done in that kind of DIY way. And you're dead right. I mean, the, the soundtrack was amazing too. So very, very impressed with, with that film. And it'd be great to get them on the show and chat to them about how yeah. they made it and their other projects. Uh, and then the other winner, are, actually we have to make a disclaimer that Jeff Taylor is a friend and colleague, and yeah. uh, but it was a, such an amazing uh, film to be um, to be done literally in lockdown because he's effectively been um, entirely uh, kind of you know parenting. Well, I wouldn't say entirely, but he's been basically uh, as a filmmaker using his time with his daughter, and he's he's crafted a beautiful little story and a little bit of amazing. politics in there. Yeah, a really kind of uh, heartfelt sense of you know what what it must be like to be uh, a, a tiny little girl in this yes. strange world that we're currently in. That's what I loved. It was it was just an insight into the child's viewpoint and everything that's happening, yeah. while at the same time being quite a poignant document on on the time as well. You know, yeah. from all perspectives. So, uh, well done, Jeff. That was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Well done, Jeff. Well done, Charlotte, and well done, Daniela. So we're yes. really looking forward to getting you on the show. We may try and do a kind of joint Zoom. I don't know how oh, we'll we could do it, but it'll be fun to get them all on and maybe, you know, all uh, Razor, Gin, uh, Martini uh, uh, all together and discuss indie filmmaking and the like. So yeah, well fantastic. done to you guys. Well done, Congratulations. Guys. And there goes the end of our DIY cinema cult. <laughs> One minute film festival for this year. Yeah, I, and uh, I think it's been a really good experience because a lot, a lot of uh, connecting with people that we didn't previously know, and um, and a few friends as well. But you know, it's good to see people's creativity kind of coming to the fore in in such a weird Absolutely. world that we we live in. And uh, maybe we'll make it an annual one, but maybe next year we won't be under such weird conditions. Cheers, listeners. Uh, join us next next episode where you're going to you're gonna have a little chat with our with our DIY One Minute Film Festival champions. Yes, at the, the, at the uh, gala ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the drinks would be on us, of course, if we were in person, <laughs> but they'll have to make their own because we're doing it under, under semi-social distancing uh, rules. Right then. Night night listeners. Good night listeners. Night night. Love you. Love you. Follow us on Twitter at DIY Cinema Cult or on Instagram we are DIY underscore cinema underscore cult. Seek out the DIY Cinema Cult group on Facebook or why not email us at DIYCinemaCult at gmail.com. Follow us. 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 Follow us.